In light of current events, people across the country and even across the world are being forced to re-examine their perspectives and think about where other people might be coming from, as well as being cognizant of how their actions may affect other people. And I think this is a really important lesson to learn and something that we as doctors can carry in to our practice in multiple facets. Welcome to the White Coat Academy podcast, your source for all things personal and professional development as a new healthcare provider. Join me, Dr. Emily Funk Reynolds, as we navigate the challenges young doctors face in treating patients today and work to better ourselves beyond our clinical care. So I think as a practitioner, it's easy to get frustrated with your patients when they're not sticking to your treatment plan or following the care that you have provided for them for whatever reason. And I think it's easy to just assume that people are unmotivated, lazy, or just unwilling to change. And something that we don't really take the time to consider as practitioners is that our patients are real people with lives outside of our clinical care. And there may be other more nuanced reasons for why they're not sticking to our treatment plans in maybe the most ideal way. So in that vein, I'd like to talk today about motivational interviewing and how you can use the principles of motivational interviewing to help better relate to your patients and increase your treatment outcomes. Now, motivational interviewing, um, if you're familiar with it, is something that is often used to address addiction and the management of chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and asthma. But I think the principles behind it and the idea can be helpful in motivating patients um, that don't have addictive disorders but maybe aren't sticking to treatment plans as diligently as you would like. So since, like I mentioned, it is more prevalent in the psychology and counseling world, uh, motivational interviewing originally evolved from Carl Rogers' um, person-centered or client-centered approach to counseling and therapy, and it has two main goals. The first is to increase the person's motivation, and the second is for the person to make a commitment to change. So in general, motivational interviewing is best for patients who are unmotivated or unprepared for change in lifestyle, but it can also be useful for pretty much any non-compliant patient. And the reasoning behind making the patient have a commitment to change is because there has been research that shows that people hearing themselves express commitment out loud increases their ability to actually make these changes. And it's a pretty short-term process that recognizes how difficult it is to make swooping life changes. And oftentimes our therapies do ask that of our patients. They require them to alter their lifestyle, um, sometimes in a small way, but other times often pretty significantly. So just to be clear, true textbook motivation interviewing is usually done with multiple sessions and performed by licensed professionals and counselors Um, and I'm not advocating for that necessarily if it's not your field of expertise I'm just trying to elucidate some of the ways that you can apply this logic 
to help increase your patient compliance. So let's take a look at maybe what that would actually look like in practice. Um, So basically as a provider, your role is to be empathetic and supportive, yet directive. So it's important that you don't directly argue with the patient when you maybe meet resistance from them um, because that just causes them to be defensive and shut down. So according to a book by um, Miller and Rolnick, there are kind of five main principles to motivational interviewing. And the first is to express empathy through reflective listening. Um, then to develop the discrepancy between the patient's goals or values and their current behavior. So that's when you're really identifying the difference between what they're doing currently and their goals to help motivate them to make a change. Um, And then also you want to avoid argument and direct confrontation throughout the whole process. And if you do meet resistance, you want to adjust to that rather than opposing it directly. And then finally, you want to support self-efficacy and optimism. So, okay, that sounds great, but it's also very theoretical. So let's look at an example that is maybe not addiction focused, but an example of kind of what I am trying to illustrate here. Okay, so as you know, I am in orthodontic residency. So most of my patients are in braces. And one of kind of the marks of orthodontic treatment are those lovely little rubber bands that you probably uh, remember either fondly or not so fondly if you had braces when you were growing up. Um, So, you know, without getting into much of the detail, we often need patients to wear those rubber bands in order to achieve their best occlusion and get the ideal end result. And it's very, very common, especially with adolescent patients, to not get the best compliance out of wearing the rubber bands when we ask our patients to do that. So let's say I have a 12-year-old boy who comes into my orthodontic practice and I can tell that he hasn't been wearing his rubber bands. Um, And so therefore, we're not seeing the progress that we would like. So if I'm going to apply those principles of motivational interviewing, the first thing I want to do is that reflective listening. So here is where I want to ask the kid why he isn't wearing his rubber bands. And the key here is to not assume I already know the answer. And so what I mean by that is don't assume that he's not wearing them because he's lazy or because they're painful, um, which I think is something that we often do in practice, um, but rather just ask an open-ended question. So, okay, little Timmy, I can see that you're not wearing your rubber bands. What's going on there? And at this point, you just want to listen to what their reasons are and maybe it will surprise you. So the common response, like I said earlier, is to assume that I'm dealing with, you know, a young middle schooler and he's just kind of angsty or maybe a little lazy and he just doesn't want to wear the rubber bands. But maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe my patient wears his rubber bands in the morning, but 
the issue comes when he gets to the cafeteria for lunch. So instead of me just assuming that he's not wearing them at all by asking, that's when I could discover that maybe he is wearing them. It just happens when he goes to lunch, he doesn't put them back in. And that is the benefit to asking an open-ended question. So once I recognize that he gives me maybe a reason, then you want to develop the discrepancy between that behavior and his goals. So with braces, pretty much everyone's goal is to get their teeth straight and to get it over with as quick as possible. So now my goal is to show him that not wearing his rubber bands runs counter to that goal. So I want to point out that the fastest way to get out of braces is to be super compliant with whatever we tell him to do at a given visit and, you know, tell them that, okay, you know, if you don't want to wear your rubber bands, that's totally fine, but it's probably going to take us longer to get your braces done and to get your teeth the way that we want it because we don't have the help of those rubber bands. And it's important throughout this whole process to avoid argument and direct confrontation. Like we mentioned earlier, that's one of our five main principles. So at any point, I don't want to say, well, you know, if you're not going to wear your rubber bands, then you're going to be in braces forever. Just be very matter of fact and say, not wearing rubber bands is completely your choice. However, if that's the case, we can do that, but we're going to need to adjust your treatment time. Because if you're just staying matter of fact and not emotional, it prevents the patient from feeling defensive. Now, the next key piece of motivational interviewing that I think is super important is to adjust to resistance rather than just opposing it. Now, the key here is that you don't want to assume that just because you're meeting resistance with a patient that they are being defiant. In fact, it's often a signal that you may not have identified the real reason that is a barrier to the patient in terms of doing whatever you're asking them to do. So usually it means that the patient is viewing the situation differently. So if we go back to our example with the young boy with the rubber bands, so okay, I've identified that he is not putting them in after he goes to school lunch. Okay, so I found that my patient is wearing the rubber bands in the morning, but they're not putting them back in after they are at school lunch. So I think a lot of times it's easy to assume that the patient may not be putting them back in because they're accidentally throwing them away. So that's where I want to go back to the patient and say, so what happens after lunch? Why do they not make it back into your mouth after you're done eating? And maybe I find out from the patient that it's not because he's throwing them away. Maybe it's because he's embarrassed to take out his rubber bands at the lunch table and be messing with his teeth in front of all of his friends. Maybe a friend of his said something to him like, ew, that's so gross. And maybe one day at lunch, all the kids 
were poking fun at him. So let's backtrack a little bit and see how those two problems would be indicative of two very different solutions. So let's say it's the first issue. It's that he is throwing them away at lunch accidentally and therefore he can't put them back in after lunch. So that's when I would say, well, what do you think would be helpful in terms of not having that happen at lunch? And then the idea is that the patient will come up with some ideas. So maybe the patient will say, well, I could put them in a special little case rather than putting them on my napkin so that I don't accidentally throw them away. Or the patient could say, well, maybe if I had an extra set in my backpack, that way in case I do throw them away, I can get more. The key here is to let them come up with the solution. So people are more likely to stick to something when it's their idea. So if the patient comes up to a solution, not only do they like the idea because it's their own, but also it takes into account their own personal situation. So they know what works best for them and what would fit into their life the best rather than you trying to solve the problem for them. Now, sometimes it's going to take a little bit of probing, especially with those middle schoolers. They like to say, I don't know, a lot of times. So sometimes it's going to take a couple rounds of questioning to come up with a solution, but usually not more than a few minutes. So, okay, so situation one is we're throwing them away accidentally, and a way to solve that is to maybe give him an extra bag of rubber bands to take with him so that he can keep one in his backpack in case he throws it away. He'll have another set right there. Okay, so now let's examine possibility number two. So let's say that the kiddo is embarrassed to take out his rubber bands at the lunch table and now if you are lucky enough to get a middle school boy to admit to you that he's embarrassed then you're already doing something right there um but let's say that that's the case and you are lucky enough to elicit that from him so then you might ask well is there any way that you could take your rubber bands in and out without your friends seeing or away from your friends and then he'll say well maybe I could go to the bathroom and take them out there in the stall so that nobody will see me okay that's great that's a viable solution and again it has been developed by the patient so the final kind of pillar of motivational interviewing is once you have come up with a plan with the patient provided by the patient is to help them and encourage them that they can do it. Encourage them that what they've come up with is a viable solution and that they will be able to get it done. Now, this seems like a very simple example and definitely not wearing your orthodontic rubber bands is probably not as significant as being addicted to drugs or alcohol in terms of a direct threat to health, but 
the basis of the principles are there. And that is why I love motivational interviewing. I first heard about it when I was in dental school in regards to tobacco cessation. And admittedly, at this point in my career, I haven't come across too many patients um, just because of the population that I work with that need motivational interviewing in terms of addiction or tobacco cessation. However, I've tried to apply these principles to my patients in terms of problem solving and compliance issues. And I have seen a good response from that. The biggest takeaway from motivational interviewing is that it's an important lesson in perspective. The key is to not assume, but to ask, and most importantly, to listen. Because patients are people first, and not everybody's life is conducive to optimal treatment. And sometimes you have to be able to deliver care that best fits with their life. Increasingly in healthcare, we're seeing a push towards personalized medicine. And I think this is just another facet where that comes into play. Now, motivational interviewing has many benefits and has been scientifically proven to be effective in managed care. The thing that I love about it is that it's low cost. I mean, all it really costs is your time. And it works because, like I said, people are coming up with their own solutions. And everybody loves to feel like they had a good idea. And like I said earlier, patients know their own situation best. So allowing them to come up with a solution is way more effective than you trying to speculate on what their day-to-day life may be. I'd like to take an optimistic viewpoint on the current situation of the world and hope that it's really a turning point for us in terms of how we think about other people and what may be going on in people's lives and our perceptions of others and not being so quick to judge our patients. I would even challenge you to take this into other aspects of your life in terms of working with other people, communicating with loved ones when people don't necessarily do what you expect them to do or want them to do. I would challenge you to have an open-ended discussion and see what their perspective is rather than just assuming that you know and getting frustrated with their lack of response. So with that, I'm going to close out today's episode. I hope you guys found this helpful and I would really appreciate it if you guys do try it with patients and you have success to let me know. Come over on Instagram, send me a DM or email us from our website and let me know your experience. It would be great to see how we are helping young doctors. Um, Also, if you can give the podcast a review or a rating if you haven't already, that helps us reach new audiences. And my goal is to really help just as many people as I possibly can. 
So I will catch you guys in the next one. Thank you.